Hello, hello. Thank you for coming and joining us. Uh, we appreciate having you here. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community Church. And if you're a guest, whether you've been coming two or three times or just a couple times, or even maybe tonight's your first night, uh, one of the things we want to encourage you to do is to step towards us because we want to get to know you. And there's two ways you can do that. If you look at the seat back in front of you, you'll see a QR code. If you take a picture of that, it's going to take you straight over to a connection card. You can fill it out. There'll be a little button at the bottom of that, and boom, we've got your information. Um, but if you don't want to do that, we have another way that you can connect with us. And as you leave, if you'll stop at the welcome desk, one of our guest services teams will we'll love to meet you at the welcome desk, and they'll help you fill out that card, answer any questions that you have. And if you do that for us, uh, we have a gift for you for doing so. Um, cool thing, and I, I'm sure you guys are worshiping, but I don't know if you could hear, it's raining outside. And I mean, it's raining good. So that's just awesome. And uh, I don't think it was supposed to rain, but we're not mad about it. We can take it on the chin. And uh, I'm hoping, too, that maybe through our time together, uh, there will be some uh, refreshment as well and nurturing for, for your soul. Um, one of the things I also want to mention is simply this. Uh, we have summer baptisms coming up. Uh, they're going to be at Foster Aaron Lake uh, on August the 13th at 1230 after the Sunday morning, the second Sunday morning service. Um, you can register on ccc.rochester.org uh, uh, or you can, can uh, talk to the person at the welcome desk. They'd be glad to help you or call the church office. Now, here's the scoop. Um, in a minute here, I'm going to have the opportunity to share a message with you um, for the first time. And that's true for you, but it's also true for me in that I have not finished it. And um, so, let's see, so you'll see, what, I don't know how this is going to go, um, um, but it's been, it's been a really tough week. We, uh, uh, had, uh, we had somebody in the church who passed away, um, and uh, that was just a really tough time. Last, uh, my wife, Yvonne, um, her mom has a boyfriend, and you might think that's weird, but the boyfriend's 96, and she's 90, and um, they've been hanging out for about 16 years, and and Francis is pretty sweet to us. About two weeks ago, less than that, Francis fell and he broke his hip. And Tuesday, Yvonne's mom fell and broke her hip. And, um, and so it's been a rough, rough week that way. Uh, Francis passed away last night. Uh, so we'll have a funeral in our family. Um, her mom's taking it really hard. Francis was an absolute sweetheart. And so it's just been one of those... Uh, weeks. Some time ago, my wife uh, told me, and not some time ago, just recently, my wife said that I had two faults. The first was, I don't listen. And I don't remember what the second one was. And um, <laughs> just, it's not very good. Um, but truth be known, here's the deal. Sometimes I think at church, we, we don't listen. And it's not because we don't want to hear what's being shared or, or uh, invest in worship and be a part of that. I think it's because what happens is, is we come in and we're really, really tired. Um, we've got uh, places to go, people to see, things to do. We've got never-ending to-do lists. I don't know if you do that, or sometimes if I sit and I take a deep breath and I just feel tired and all of a sudden I think about all those other things that I need to have taken care of last week and the things that are also on my list 
for the next week. And sometimes we have conflicts, whether it be at home or at the office or within our own life. And we're distracted, we're exhausted, and we're spent. And if we're honest, we might even admit that our souls are not at rest. One man said it this way, the quieter you become, the more you are able to hear. So I want to start off with something we've done a couple times here, and it's going to sound, if you have not done this, you might think it's a little weird, but uh, science says there's all kind of health things that happen when we do this. And so I'm going to just take you through a thing, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and then I'm going to tell you to breathe in through your nose, inhale through your nose, slowly fill up your lungs, and then I'm going to tell you to exhale. And while you're exhaling, try to count it slowly to yourself to 10. It's not about getting all 10 seconds in. It's about taking your time and exhaling. And when you do that, it recalibrates your nervous system and it relaxes you. I was reading a great article, six, six ways and six reasons that taking a deep breath and inhaling slowly and exhaling, it just does something for the body and for the soul. So let's close our eyes, and now I will lead us into prayer. And so I'm going to ask you, even as we start, I want you to breathe in through your nose, take a deep breath, in, hold it, and then relax. And feel the stress and the tension fall away. Do that again. Inhale through your nose. Exhale through your mouth. Father, we would readily admit that we're, we're distracted people. And Lord, I know that you are here and we are here, but if we're honest, sometimes we're here, but we're not really here at all. And we're tired. So Father, I'd ask in the next few minutes that you would clear our minds so that we can hear what you might have to say. And, and you might have already spoken through worship or spoken before the service with a friend or after the service. But Father, help us to clear ahead that we might hear what you have to say. And help us, Father, to open our eyes to see the possibilities of a life that's out there for us and a life that makes a difference in others. In 1 Samuel 3, we hear these words shared. Speak, Lord, I am your servant, ready to listen. May that be true of us. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm going to read uh, from a text. Um, and it, this particular text, I want you to know, is, has been in my mind a long time for many years. In fact, I had only spoke on this piece one time other that I know of, and I have the actual manuscript from August 30th, 1981. And this text just catches, catches you off guard. And when it starts out, it's very depressing, okay? And so I want you to follow along, and, and let's just see what God does with this, all right? Um, this comes from Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to read just some introductory verses right there at the beginning of the chapter, and this is how it, what it reads. It says this, this is a book of the generations of Adam. 
When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. Boy, would I like to go off on that tangent, but I won't. And he blessed them and he named them man. Another translation says that he blessed them and named them mankind. Another version says he called them human beings. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness and after his own image, and he named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years. Then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after her father, he fathered Kenyon 815 years. He had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years. Guess what? Then he died. Kenan was 70 years old when he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived 840 years after he fathered Mahalalel, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Kenan's life lasted 910 years. Then he died. Isn't that exciting? It's just, uh, just it's, it's up, so uplifting. And no, it's not. It's depressing. Now, I want to back up for a second because something when I read it made me laugh out loud. It says this in verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son. Wow. Way to go, Adam. That's awesome. Okay. All right. And then I got to thinking, maybe there's another son in my uh, litter out there somewhere. And I thought about that and I thought about a song that I really like. I have... Some people have a theme verse for a year. I have a song. It's my song for the year. It's, it's written by and performed by the Beatles. You can ask your parents. They'll tell you they were a band. And, um, but the first two paragraphs go like this, and some of you know the song. I'm not going to try to sing it. When I get older, losing my hair many years from now, will you be sending me a Valentine birthday greetings bottle of wine? If I'd been out to quarter of three, would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? That's my song because I'm 64. Okay? And sometimes I'll ask Yvonne, hey, will you still need me? Will you still feed me? And she flips a coin. <laughs> so that's where we're at, all right? But just know this, the world was a very, very different place, as you'll see. The length of one's life was very different, and, and we saw that. Most of these people in Genesis 5 lived over 900 years. <laughs> Try putting candles on that cake, all right? Um, that's a five-alarm uh, fire just waiting to happen. But this text, this text that we just stepped into is the story of man, beginning with Adam and then ending with Noah, and then for two or three more chapters, we get Noah's story. It's nine generations. Nine generations represented in 32 verses. And if you think about it, you kind of get a mental image here. And I want you to see this. I want you to imagine that over here is a row of cradles, and over here is a row of coffins. And out of the cradles, there arises a boy who turns quickly into a man. He begins to walk. He takes off in good stride. And then after a period of time, he stumbles and falls headlong into the coffin. The lid closes, story over. 
And just as it closes, another boy arises from the coffin or from the cradles. He becomes a man. He begins to walk and he too gets off to a good stride. But then after a period of time, he also stumbles, falls headlong into a coffin and the lid closes and story over. And it's, it gives about that, but not even a blip on the screen of a person's life. And over and over again in Genesis 5, you get from the cradle to the coffin, the cradle to the coffin, a few stumbling steps, story over. And what they do is they say, this is so-and-so, he's the father, he was blessed to have a son, and then they give us the eldest son's name. We are told that each of the fathers is blessed with an eldest son, and it says he fathered other sons and other daughters. And then we're told how long they lived, and obviously it was a little different than it is for us now, because they lived a long, long time, which means they had lots and lots of kids, which means those kids grew up into teenagers, which means the epitaph on their tombstone could simply be born, bugged, and buried. And that's the totality of their lives. An introduction, a span of life, a stumbling step, story over. And you might say, Greg, that, uh, there's, there's, that, that's not very encouraging. Greg, Greg, that, that can't just be all there is. That's flat out depressing. And it is. And if you keep reading, you will simply get more of the same over and over again. From the cradle to the coffin, the cradle to the coffin. But then you, you come to this verse, verse 21, and this is what it says. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters, and altogether Enoch lived. And you're expecting those, those familiar words, and then he died, but those words are not there. Why? Because something significant has happened. What we do read is these words. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him. We had a pattern, a system in place, and all of a sudden, you're ready to push him into the coffin and close the lid. But as soon as you start closing that lid, a hand reaches out and holds the door open and prevents us from closing the lid. And that hand was the hand of God. It says, the text says, he was no more, Enoch was no more because God took him. And you say, Greg, what, Greg, what does that mean? I don't want to get stuck on that verse, though that verse is central to Enoch's story. But all through the Bible, we come across people who pop up and intrigue us. And if there's one person that's always intrigued Christians in the Old Testament and in Genesis is this story of Enoch. It turns our heads. It stops us in our tracks. It says he was not for God took him. I, I'm, I'm just blown away by that. So I spent a lot of time, maybe too much time, looking at all these different translations and versions of the Bible on that verse. And here's just a few. He was not found among men. Then he was not there. Like Elijah, he did not die. Then he disappeared. One day he was simply gone. One day he just vanished. I you know, remember uh, 
Come in, we game we used to play this game, Ollie Ollie and free, and everybody would come. Where did you go? You hid, we couldn't find you. They couldn't find him. Enoch did not die. That's what I want you to say. He didn't die. God pulled him out. There was a portal or something, a hole in the universe, a kind of beam me up Scotty moment. But here's what got me, and I keep going back to it. What kind of man was Enoch that God would single him out out of all men, at least true in these nine generations, almost 8,000 years, and God says of him, um, I'm taking you now. I'm jealous of you. You're mine. I pick you. I choose you. I want me to be with you. We had a pattern firmly established. We were on a roll. Born, bugged, and buried. Born, bugged, and buried. From the cradle to the coffin. And that seemed to be the totality of it. But then here comes a man whose life flips everything upside down. And it changes everything, at least for Enoch. He was no more for God took him. What made, what made the difference? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It didn't, wasn't because of. It wasn't because he met Jesus. Because this is a long time uh, earlier than Jesus when he was walking the dusty roads of Judea. It wasn't because he read Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes because none of those books had ever been penned. Then what? And the only thing you're going to get out of this text is this phrase, Enoch walked with God. I don't, I don't know what, what that means and how that transpired, but here's what, and I don't want to be oversimplistic, but here's what I think. I think what happened when this one, it happened was one day Enoch was walking around and he reached up and God who is ever reaching down took a hold of Enoch's hand and in that God and man were brought together in a way that was different and unique. And the story was rewritten for Enoch and for him alone. I was... Um, I, the first time I read that, I was 22 years old. And even today, it just stops me. What kind of man was Enoch that he would be singled out of almost 8,000 years of history? Here's a scoop. You know, that experience about being picked and selected and embraced by God is what happens to us in a different way, I know, when God who steps towards us embraces us as his. God reached out for your hand, stepped toward you, and through faith in Christ, initiated a relationship based upon him and him alone. And he embraced you as his beloved. The word beloved appears 52 times in scripture. And every time the word beloved is used, it is God speaking of those whom he adores as his own. And you are the beloved of God. And I'm going to leave it there. At least that part about Enoch. 
And now what we're gonna do is we're gonna do something that uh, we're gonna take a really hard right away from the Enoch picture. We're gonna take a really hard right. If you're a guest, it simply means Greg's going off-roading again. If you don't know what off-roading is, it's about an activity of driving and riding a vehicle on unpaved surfaces such as sand, gravel, riverbeds, mud, snow, rocks, and other natural terrain. And I have a good friend, he'll be here tomorrow, and he's a former cop, and that's what he does now in retirement. He just makes his Jeep miserable. And um, in other words, we're going to take the road less traveled, the scenic route, because I'm not going to be going a direct route, but we have to drop this into this at this point. And you need to know that trying to follow me sometimes is like trying to find Waldo, so buckle up. So here's the deal. We all have a family tree, okay? And I have a family tree right now that still involves four generations. There's my dad, my, and he's about 83. My son, or me, I'm 64. My son, he's 42, and his son, and he's seven. We call that a family tree. We all have a part of that, or genealogy. But in that, we take for granted so much the people we love and the time we've been given. Psalm 139, 16 says this. It's a very amazing verse. You saw me. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. And every day of my life was recorded in your book. It's like this. You're born, and then God puts on the back of, let's just say you have this, uh, um, uh, this hourglass. And on the front, you're watching the sandfall. On the back of it is your name with the day that you were born and the day you will be gone. It's already been itched in stone how long you're going to live. We all have this a lot of time on the planet to make a difference in the world that we live and the people that we love. Priority number one is the family that God has given us. And many of you probably this year have buried somebody who you loved. We had a gal show up for an event that we had here a couple of years ago, and she had lost five loved ones during COVID. Man, that's heavy. We We take them for granted until they're gone. And you know, we all, all, all say, when we lose a loved one, I just wish we had a, a little bit more time, another conversation, a chance to talk a matter over that wasn't resolved. Priority one is the family that God has given us. Priority two is the corner of the world where God has placed us. And we all live on bower time. And time is, is ticking away. We all have this limited time offered to make the world a better place, to make a difference in the lives of others. And here's the reality for most of you here, and you're gonna know it's true, it's simply this. You, you're not gonna believe it, and before you know it, your time will be gone, and chances are you won't see it coming. I was with a family from our church this week. And in a matter of hours, they lost their mom. And I had this holy moment. I get these every once in a while when you're a pastor and you get to see people grieve up close or love well up close. And I remember seeing the dad stepping down. He knelt down between his two children, 19 and 20, and he's telling them that mom's not gonna make it. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm off about 15 to 20 feet watching him breathe life and encourage them in this and saying, we had a great time. She was a wonderful mom and we have all these memories and we're gonna be grateful. The Bible says it this way. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. There are two words that are very similar and they're very different. And they've been in my mind the last few weeks. The word sympathy and the word empathy. And I'm not gonna do them justice. If you're an English major, you already struggle with me. If, you're, if I'm an English major, you're here. I'm gonna define them and I think I'm gonna give them their just due, but these words are really hard and I spend a lot of time trying to figure out the difference between the two, but there's a difference there. So I'm gonna define them for you and I want to see if you can see the difference. Sympathy, sympathy would be you hearing about this mother who passed away and you know them maybe or perhaps you don't, but you know them, you know what occurred, you heard what happened and you thought to yourself, oh, that's, that's too bad. That's really, really sad. What a rough break. And then you keep on eating. Empathy, hearing or seeing something has occurred is moved to do something about it. They're not, they're not in the stands, they're taking a position on the field. Sympathy might feel bad and they might feel sad, but it's not gonna move them to actually do something about it. They will not get involved. Empathy, however, cannot just stand idly by, they must do something. Sympathy sees what happened, goes around it and keeps on going and does not participate. Empathy intervenes. It steps into the story, and that story becomes part of the narrative. A phrase that came uh, through a reading that I was reading that has nothing to do with this said simply this, God has called you to do something. So which are you? Just about sympathy or about empathy? I'll tell a story. True story from uh, that occurred, and this lady's name is Naomi Shihab Nye, and she's a Palestinian American poet who's based in San Antonio, Texas. And she wrote a story, a beautiful story that was true, that was entitled Gate A4. That day, Naomi arrived early at the Albuquerque airport. She checked her bags, got her boarding pass, stopped for coffee, and proceeded to her gate. And as she approached her gate, she heard it. It was distant, but she could hear it. What she heard was it sounded like somebody wailing. Not somebody who bowed their head and was sniffling softly, crying, a little sniffling action. No, no, no. Somebody was wailing loudly, and as she made her way to her gate, it got louder and louder. And then as she turned the corner, she saw it. It was a person who was wailing inconsolably, uncontrollably sobbing. And she was in the middle of this very busy gate area, lounge. It was an elderly woman in full traditional Palestinian dress, crumpled on the floor of the gate lounge, and the situation was awkward at best. Nobody is looking at this lady who's absolutely distraught. The people at the gate are embarrassed. People are turning their backs on her. 
The people at the counter, they don't know what to do, so they just keep doing their job. It seemed like the only thing to do was what they were all doing, and that was simply ignoring her altogether. But she would not be consoled. The elderly woman was alone. She spoke very, very little English. And she had understood that the flight that she was to be on just got canceled. And she did not know what to do. She was beside herself. She needed somebody who would step in the story and give some empathy. Naomi walked straight to her, knelt down, and talked with the elder woman in her own language, which was Arabic. And she told her, I too am Palestinian. And she said, I will help you. And that alone seemed to calm the woman. The elderly woman said that she needed to be in El Paso for some major medical treatment the following day. She feared that she not only missed her flight, but now had missed this very important medical appointment. She didn't know how to contact her son. She did not have an Elsa, uh, a cell phone. And she, her son was in El Paso, was going to meet her there when she got off. And she just didn't know what to do. She was at a loss. She needed somebody to step in with empathy. Naomi listened intently and tenderly to the lady. And after the woman had settled down and she caught her breath, Naomi helped her stand on her feet. She took her by the hand. She found her a place to sit. And after making sure that she was comfortable and okay, Naomi told her, I'm just going to go check on the flight. She returned and she shared with the woman that the flight had not been canceled, but only delayed. And then she said, we will get on the plane and go on the trip together, and we'll both get there on time. Empathy. The story then goes on to describe a charming scene that takes place. Uh, it played itself out in the otherwise sterile environment of the gate lounge. First thing was, Naomi gave the older woman her cell phone so she could call her son, who was supposed to meet her in El Paso. And just told her, he said, well, we've got delayed. We're going to be fine. I want you to know everything's okay. And then after that, just for fun, they decided to call all of her other sons. Then Naomi, after that, Naomi said, I want you to talk to my dad. He's Palestinian born too. And so she handed the older woman her cell phone. And her dad and this elderly woman he'd never met had this long conversation in Arabic. And they found out they had 10 common friends. Empathy. And after all these phone calls, the older woman pulls out a bag of homemade mamulge cookies. Naomi described them as little powdered sugar crumbly mounds stuffed with dates and nuts. And she shared them with Naomi, and then she decided she was going to share them with all the other women at the gate. And to Naomi's surprise, everyone took one, and soon they were all covered in powdered sugar, smiling, laughing, and talking together. Then Naomi says this, I noticed my new best friend, but now we were holding hands and I saw that she had a potted plant poking out of her bag, some medicinal thing with furry leaves, but it was actually a tradition, a Palestinian tradition, an old country tradition. Always carry a plant, always stay rooted somewhere. And Naomi looked around the gate and she thought to herself these words, this is the world I want to live in, a shared world. She said, you know, once the crying of confusion stopped, not a single person at that gate seemed apprehensive about any other person at that gate. 
everybody let their guard down. And they took cookies, and she said, I wanted to hug all those other women too for taking a cookie. But then she said this, this, this can still happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. And this can still happen. But you know what it means? It means that somebody, somebody has to step into the story. Somebody has to have the empathy that says, I care. I will make things okay as far as I can. I will be a part of this person's life and story. And even in nowhereness of the Albuquerque airport, it would not have happened unless somebody with empathy and kindness steps into the life of another. And when one person did, one person did, there in that little airport, at that gate, all kinds of crazy things happened. There was community, generosity, laughter, culture, food, and family burst forth like green shoots through the cracks in the concrete. But it's rare, and it's a problem. In a book I'm reading, author, one author said this, the drift toward rootlessness and disengagement seems relentless, and the church, sadly, is finding itself sucked into the black hole of individual independence and isolation. One man said this, there are three things in human life that are important. The first one is to be kind. The second one is to be kind. And the third one is to be kind. And Jesus said it this way, whenever you did it for any of my people, no matter how important they seemed, you did it for me. I want you to just, in your mind's eye, just think about what that looked like when that woman crumpled to the floor and was all alone and everybody, everybody stepped away. Here's an elderly woman in a country she is not from, struggling with a language she does not know, in a culture that is not hers, among a, among a people that are not her own. She is all alone. And there are people all around. No one steps in. I don't know about you, but I, I, I close my eyes and I, I can see what happens there. Have you ever been to the airport and somebody's irritated and there's somebody that's, the cheese has fallen off their cracker and everybody, there's space there even when there's no space at all. So here's, here's, here's the question I want to ask you. See, you have this elderly lady, you have all these people and you have one person who actually steps in and says, I'm here for you. You matter. So I want to ask this question, and I want you to, just a reflective question. If you'd have been at the airport that day, what role would you have played? And the thing that kills me is I don't think I would have played the right role. Because you're, you're, you're at an airport, you got, you got a thing, you got a place you got to go to, and you've got a short time, a period to get there, and then you've got things to take care of when you're there, and so you're focused. I, I, don't, I don't think that's what Jesus would have asked of me, but I'm telling you, I think I probably would have distanced myself, and I say that honestly. If you had been there, what would you have done? 
Enoch had this unbelievable experience that nobody else experienced besides Elijah that didn't die. And, that, and I wonder, I just wonder what that was like. But also, I know in a way what that's like because I feel like God chose me and embraced me when I was not in a place to earn it or to deserve it. And because of that, I feel an obligation, an allegiance to share that grace with others. That would be the call. And then we look at this family picture and how things change. I have two funerals coming up. It could be three in a matter of less than two weeks of loved ones. We just get this little teeny strip of time. And folks, we, we don't use that time well as a rule. Some of you listen to me right now. I, I know me. Monday, you're back at it, not thinking at all what we just talked about. That's just how it plays out. But God has chosen you, and you have been blessed if you walk with Christ and therefore, you need to pass it on. Pay it forward. Because when all is said and done, if you've got a sweet portfolio, your kids are going to spend it or somebody else is going to have it. You have the opportunity to make a, a difference in the lives of others, your family, and in the small corner of the world that God has placed you in. Use the time in this space well. Let's pray. Father, if we're honest, we're, we're, we're busy and we're distracted and we're on the run and on the move and we're tired. And Father, we're on this planet for a short period of time and I pray that we'd really start to take that to heart. And tomorrow's a new day. My prayer is that we would not get in the way of what you want to do through us. So, Father, here we are, your servants, ready to listen, to do your bidding, and to use this time well. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week.